You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're talking about director Danny Boyle and writer Alex Garland's zombie reimagination 28 Days Later. You, no trouble. Me, fifth element. Supreme being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up? All right, Paul. We're talking the zombie genre. We, we talked Night of the Living Dead, the very first yep. modern zombie film. Now we're going into Danny Boyle's uh, reimagination, or like I guess reinterpretation or reinvigoration. What what kind of re is this? I would say this is a total reimagination. You know, what 28 Days Later does is it completely puts this new spin on zombies because remember zombies were all slow, drudgy, and for the time, yeah, they were terrifying. The zombies, or I guess, would you call them zombies? Okay, yeah. The infected? The infected? They are the infected. That's true. These are not really zombies. We're going to call them zombies in this episode, but... I guess, I guess we should call them the infected. We'll try to, but it's hard not to call them zombies. Yeah, I mean, because they are kind of zombies. They are totally they fast are zombies. zombies. <laughs> but the other real big thing is, though, the key difference is in Romero's zombie verse and all the other zombies, you were dead, and then you came back to life. These are yeah. just infected people. They're still very much alive. Like, you see them in the movie, and you don't have to shoot them in the head to kill them. You can just mm-hmm. put them down like a normal person. And Romero and, and other zombie stories or once they're bitten they have to die before they become reanimated oh sometimes they this, don't even have to be bit like like in romero's yeah, like, the, those people weren't bit they they were already dead like there's a corpses coming out of the ground but i mean if a live human is bitten by a zombie they become a zombie yes. with tw- 28 days later you didn't you don't even have to be like bitten you could get saliva on you or blood i mean anything and another thing change that this virus was really is really fast acting like between 15 to 20 seconds yeah it's almost ridiculously fast acting to the point of you know if i have one problem with with anything to like to really bitch about i mean this is how good this movie is like i'm complaining about the speed in which zombies turn (laughs) or, or 
when a person (laughs) a person goes from normal to rage crazy infected because I guess I guess fans have dubbed this the rage virus but it's never called that in the movie I don't think I think they actually do refer to it as being the rage I don't think they ever call it they they never dub it the rage virus I don't know it sounds like what the fans called it or maybe that was like I don't know maybe that was just some of the marketing (laughs) that just seeped through I don't know you watch the original Dawn of the Dead versus the remake of Dawn of the Dead. The zombies in the remake are a lot different from the zombies in the original, and I think that. I mean, they're, they're, it's this movie, man. This movie came out uh, when, when, yeah. in 2000, uh, th- 2003 here in the United States. It's 2002. Yeah, 2003. Um, yeah. In the UK. Although, to be fair, Resident Evil did come out, um, I think, the year before or a couple months before this came out. I don't know if it came out at the same time it did in the UK. So I'd have to look at the UK release date and when Resident Evil came out. But I, I remember seeing Resident Evil in the theater before. But this is the film that like got the critical response and it got the big box office response. Yeah, 28 Days Later, later is way, way better movie. Yeah, to quote Jared from an earlier episode, uh, <laughs> Resident Evil is a movie, 28 Days Later is a film. Yes, that is. I would definitely have to agree with you on that one. If you subscribe to his logic, I feel that Resident Evil is more of an action that that throws in horror elements. Where I feel like Twenty Eight Days Later is more of a horror that is forcefully thrown in action elements. You know, that's just the different directors' you know sensibilities. Whereas Resident Evil, I mean. I don't want to say that the, the movie's like bad. I actually enjoy the first Resident Evil movie, you know, and that that series holds holds a place, you know, in my heart, and it holds its place in film history. I'm not going to take that away from it. Um, yeah, but Paul W. S. Anderson just has different sensibilities as director. Like things that interest him are more of the action scenes, and Danny Boyle, like he really cares about character moments. Yeah, there's a lot of violence, and there's a lot of like you know zombies chasing people and. Uh, a lot of horrible stuff, but he also gives characters a, a good time to, to reflect mm-hmm. on the things that are happening to him. It's not just go, 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 go. Yeah, we look cool fucking with a shotgun, blowing zombies' heads off. No, it, it, like everything in the movie has real life consequences for these people. Different directors, man. Another thing is about 28 Days Later, I think it's more of a visually powerful movie than, say, Resident Evil. Yeah, I, I could actually, I could totally, I would love to hear an argument about that. I, I, I'm not going to have that argument with you, but it's, you know, because I don't. No, I'm just saying, in my opinion, when it comes to tapping on human emotions and, and more, like I said, visually appealing, I feel that, you know, 28 Days Later is the more visually appealing movie. Yeah, it does have some, it does have some problems. Uh, the image is not clear. I mean, it was an aesthetic choice by the filmmakers, but it's not because they shot like on 16 millimeter and you have film grain on it. No, this is this is digital grain. They shot this on a Canon XL1S, which was it's a mini DV format tape. Uh, it was really popular um, back in the early aughts um, in like the late 90s. I think it came out around 98, 99. Um, and Steven Sodenberg shot some stuff. I think it was like full frontal. He, sh- he shot that, and that came out around the same time. It was it was a big it was a big thing for the the indie film movement and personally I've never liked the images that a Canon produces. Its historical place in in film history I think is is it's it's felt you know it's 
I felt like it was the camera that was priced around two to six grand. It was somewhere in that ballpark, depending on the lenses and packages and things like that you got with it. But it, it was a camera that you could pretty much afford. I have to say, you know, this camera was uh, was the start of uh, of a lot of things. Uh, it gave yeah. it gave a lot of people confidence to to do things. What this movie this movie used it to expand their budget, which is brilliant. I mean, the drawback is is you know it it's standard def footage. Like even when you watch this on Blu-ray, you're watching upscaled footage. I mean, it was trans. Okay, so it was shot on mini DV tapes at standard definition. And then that, I guess, is what's getting scanned for the master, because <laughs> this was shown in, on, on yeah. film and theaters, so there were film prints of it. Uh, but so it, it does look better than you know your normal movie that was shot on a Canon XL1S. I mean, like the lighting is good here, but I mean the camera does have some drawbacks. Like the images are yeah, blown the, out. The director of photography does a great job with this movie, man. Uh, they're beautiful shots, and I feel like. I feel like between the the cinematographer, the directing, and the editing, everything was done very, very meticulously. You can tell, like the thoughts were already there. What it, the finished product was going to look like, almost. Dude, when you when you say beautiful, like when you were talking about those, you know, talking about beautiful shots, it's beautiful, ugly. Like even with the horses, the whole thing with the horses, like I, I think that is visually appealing. It's it's definitely not gorgeous, like a film. You but like I mean? you like said, it, you know, it, the it, choice was there, you know, well, to, to use this camera and take money. And, you know, that was that was smart. Well, that's I mean, what I mean so, by yeah, beautiful, ugly. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I think yeah. they're using that. They're using that as a stylistic choice as well as a as a money choice. I mean, it's not just all about the money. And we'll we'll get into no. it. You know, when we come back from it, we'll play the trailer. When we come back from that, we'll we'll get into into a little bit more of. He he chose this in particular look, and I don't know. I think it raises some questions in, in the film and, and what he's trying to say with the movie, especially in, in, with like violence, because there's a, there's a lot of messages here in in the film. Yes, there are, and you know, like we're, we're talking to like you know they they're saving their money with shooting on these cannons, and one of the reasons is is because they can shoot super fast. There are shots in this movie. Where you see a main character walking in the middle of London, and there is nobody there, like no one. Yeah, and there are huge, yeah, there are huge wide, wide shots, and you're, yeah, you're talking about planning, like, oh my god, dude, can you imagine, like, fucking shit? Well, dude, I don't down? know what that bridge is. I mean, I don't know what that bridge is right there by Parliament and oh, Big, Big ben, ben and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, can you imagine the amount of traffic had to be diverted and detoured? Even if it's early in the morning, it's like I don't care what day you're shooting. That's a huge city, man. Can you imagine? Like, oh yeah, oh my goodness, it's like a logistical nightmare. And to do it for a horror movie, like how the fuck did you? Like, yeah, we're making a zombie movie. You know, like okay, I'll be honest. When you're going to shoot locations and you're getting permission, usually people want to know like a vague idea of what you're doing. If you're shooting a horror movie, you try to just describe the scene that you're shooting and not go into the details of the plot and what the movie's actually about. Because in certain locations, if you tell them you're shooting a horror movie, it's like, oh yeah, this person's getting stabbed over here and their their soul's getting possessed later on over here in the script. That turns some people off. That doesn't fare very well with people. (laughs) Yeah, some people are uh, a little prejudiced uh, to the horror genre and will tell you, go fuck yourself. So, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Yep. Hey man, 
I, it's just I just, can't I can't believe it. And and not only that, there were some. I mean, there were a lot of areas of of the city of London that they shot, and I, I don't know if it was only London or other cities, but I know I think a lot of the vast majority of the movies actually shot in London, um, or at least all the city stuff was. You know, I imagine that dude. That was a that was just a freaking nightmare. I imagine. Oh, I, I know they had a, like a bunch of they had a bunch of cameras out, and they were just rolling this stuff. And man, I was reading somewhere where they had like forty five minutes. They had the streets shut down, and then man, if you look at like the props that they have out in the streets, because yeah, the, the That's streets what I'm are saying, empty. Man, all people. the trash, but yeah, look, yeah, all the trash. But dude, there's a turned and... over bus in yeah. a shot, and it's like, what the hell? So that means you got forty five minutes to set all this shit up. Yeah, film what you're gonna film and clean all this up. Be done with it. Like, dude, you know, you know how big of a deal it is to turn a vehicle over on its side in the middle of a fucking street. Well, dude. I imagine it's a pain in the ass. Oh, my whole thing is, I was sitting here thinking, dude, like the permits it's so weird you have to have. Oh my that, god, that I was sitting here thinking this shit, and I was just like, especially when he's walking on the bridge, I'm just like, damn, dude, that's a lot of garbage. You know, it's it's the one part of the movie, like, regardless of what you think about the style of the film and how it, it's shot and how it looks, when you see that those set pieces in London, man, yeah. you're just like, this looks so expensive. Yeah, it does, because I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I wonder how many people it took to clean all that trash up. <laughs> how many people it would take just to clean up the trash? It's the low-budget I Am Legend, dude, all right? They probably had the PAs do that crap. Yeah, they probably did. A huge, huge art department. Uh, or a bunch of interns. Oh, yeah, they probably they probably went to some school, yeah, some film school in London. We're like, hey, uh, so what what are you guys doing today? I've heard they'll sell you out pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's free it's free labor, you know. I'm I, I mean experience. It's experience. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, free experience. Yeah. Well, you don't get to do a lot of experience when you're like just on a walkie keeping people out of a door. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, you're going to give somebody some experience. I mean, you know, at least let them in the set to see what, what happens. I know every school is yeah. different, you know, but anyway, side rant. I did want to say, I before I forget, man, talking about film school, just jarred this memory. The film composer for this movie, um, John Murphy, this guy is so cool. Um, we were... I mean, I think it was the first thing I I worked on in Memphis. It's this short film. It's called Suicide Jack. Man, I was I was really excited about it. Put a trailer together, and I used uh, "In a House in a Heartbeat," or I think that's the name of the track. I I really loved it. Put it in the trailer, and I think we may have even used it in the in credits. But anyway, um, when we were doing the trailer, they were saying, "Oh, like you know, you can't use that music." And anyway. The director sent him, sent him an email asking for permission to use it in the trailer and maybe the film. Sent him a link to the movie. Watched it. Said he loved it. Gave us permission to use it. And the coolest thing, the thing I thought was like just a real, real, real nice touch is he sent the director like a CD with some of the things he's working on or and some like fucking deleted tracks or some stuff. Burned it onto a CD and wrote the tracks down, dude, by hand in a pen. That's awesome, man. Right? Like, actually took the time out of his out of his schedule to do that. Because, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed the the soundtrack of this movie, man. 
Yeah, don't you know, don't don't start score. don't start flooding John Murphy's like you know emails now that I that I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as, when you were when you're first starting out and somebody does that for you, it it means a lot. It's it's just really cool because some people, most people, would not give a fuck. Yeah, either that or if they did, they would. If they didn't ignore you, they would charge you out the wazoo for money. A lot of the music has this uh, kind of eerie post post rock sound to it, and it, it is really a lot of the music is is really good. I, I don't really listen to a lot of a lot a lot of soundtracks for movies, but I I do adore the soundtrack for this movie. Yeah, I mean, dude, they use his music in so many trailers. Um, like even okay, the Avatar trailer. Um, yeah. I think it's the uh, was it the final trailer? I, it's it's the one everybody got really excited about. Uh, it's the long one, but the music in that is from twenty eight weeks later. John Murphy did that. I think it's the helicopter chase. Okay. I mean, dude, yeah, everybody likes this guy. I mean, they you if you've seen a trailer in the last ten years, you've you've probably heard his music. We may be a little biased here too. Um, <laughs> so, oh man, see, I, I yeah. Well, I guess you're not. No, so look, you know, yeah, I'll just get no biasm here. <laughs> uh, I guess. Um, what do you think of Danny Boyle, man? You a fan of him, the director of this movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess considering that I really do enjoy Train Spotting and Twenty Eight Days Later and Twenty Eight Weeks Later. He didn't do Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Damn it. Okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, somebody else came in and directed the sequel. Recently, he's done the Steve Jobs movie with Ma- Michael Fassbender. Um, See, I haven't seen anything, man. He's done like recently. I yeah, mean, he did 127 hours. Did you see that? That was pretty good. Yeah, I did see 127 hours. Yeah, he did that. That was pretty good. Yeah, that'll make. Ooh, man, ooh, that movie make you cringe a little bit. And of course, he you know he won the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. Yes, I have seen Slumdog Millionaire. That's that's a good one. dude. That is that's a good feel good movie. You know, um, I, you know, I usually don't like feeling good, so I'm not into that kind of cinema usually. But <laughs> I do like that movie. I hate movies that make me feel good. That's right, man. If you're not walking out of a movie thinking about suicide, then I don't know if you watched a movie. You know that one movie with that one kid that does everything nice, and he just wants people to do nice things for everybody else. I hate movies like that. Oh my goodness. I'm a fan of Danny Boyle, man. I like his stuff, dude. Um, I I don't know. I like how he started. He definitely started in, in the in the indie scene and grew from yeah. there. And he's definitely had a really interesting career. And he's really good with actors. He's pulled off some really good and hard ensembles, like Steve Jobs. I you know some some of the cast in that. I I just I don't I didn't think that was gonna work as well as it did. And he pulled it off like. Man, he got all of them working together just beautifully. And of course, Alex Garland, the writer, he he directed <laughs> and wrote Ex Machina. Oh, he did. Yeah, have you seen that? No, I have not seen Ex Machina, but I I've been wanting to check it out. Yeah, you should check that out, man. That was that was one of our very first early podcasts, um, single digits, I think, even. Uh, but man, I really really like that. I've seen that four or five times. Over over the the years since that's been out, or two years, maybe three, dude, that is, that is a tremendous film. 
he came in and directed that, but uh, I really like his writing stuff. He wrote that uh, the Judge Dread um, remake, Dread with Car- uh, Carl Urban. Do you see that? Oh yeah, he did do that, didn't he? Yeah, man, and that dude, that was yeah. Great. I, I kind of forgot he did do that. Yeah, that was dude, so that, that yeah that that Judge Dread remake was way better than that garbage ass Sylvester Stallone. Oh, dude, it was so good. And oh, I loved that that and the raid came out in the same year and they were both yeah. like uh i don't know just badass like siege movies with these guys having to work their way up or down uh buildings and just oh man i i don't know i loved the dread movie the the slow mo well to me and, oh. to me with the with the dread movie it seemed more like the comic to me the one with Sylvester Stallone, I felt like they tried to make it more kid friendly and stay away from the roots of it. The comic is a little tongue in cheek, though, dude. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's pretty not, damn serious, man. No, no, I mean, it's 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 got a pretty good line of satire running throughout the comic, man. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's that's definitely not a serious comic. Some social issues in it that it brings up every now and again, and. You'll get some well, yeah, I, mean, I know that, but I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. I feel like the remake is a little closer to the comic than, than, or maybe, I don't know, I haven't seen the one with Sylvester Stallone in a really, really, really long time, so. It just, I guess it depends what part of Dread you're, you're reading. You know, I, yeah. it's, it's like Batman, you know, it's like, are any of the film interpretations of Batman we have, like, faithful to a comic book source? I mean, they're faithful to a version <laughs> You know, because Batman's yeah, had so many, true. yeah, he's had so many different iterations throughout his life, and I, you know, Dread yeah. has too. Dread's been around for a while. The movie's great, though. I and you know, I, I don't want to talk so much shit about the Stallone version because you know, I kind of like that one too. I guess it's a guilty pleasure, but whatever. Yeah, hey, nothing wrong with that, man. No, it's not nothing a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty for liking it. Don't feel guilty for liking it, man. Maybe it's all good. Maybe it's an ashamed pleasure. <laughs> Share your feelings, man. Just share your feelings. I don't feel guilt. I feel maybe ashamed that I like that. Why do I like this movie so much? I don't know, man. I think we all have those movies that we're like a little ashamed that we like. All right, guys. So we're going to take a break. We're going to play the trailer. And when we come back, we are going to get into a massive spoil-filled discussion for 28 Days Later. Who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. Hello. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Bottom. Infected with what? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's the blood. There's something in the blood. Someone. You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? Less than two. Only travel during daylight unless you've got no choice. See, this is a really shit idea. You know why? This is obviously a shit idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do.
and you're gonna be next. And we're back. That was the trailer for 28 Days Later. Man, I don't even know where to start. I guess let's start at the very beginning. Opening shots. You don't get uh, you, you, you get the 20, not the 20th Century Fox, the Fox search, Searchlight logo. And then you just yep. start getting images of violence. And lots and lots of violence. And I, and I did wonder if uh, these were actual pictures taken from like, you know, news sources all over the world. Some of them were. Yeah, I kind of figured they were because I imagine like trying to just stage a bunch of shit like that. Just, you know what I mean? It'd be easier. I imagine it would be a lot easier just to pick actual news art, news uh, videos and, and everything like that than it would be to try to go and stage and shoot something like that just to show it for that brief amount of time. I think they shot the um, some of the, the stuff with people like actually dying. And yeah, things like that. I think that's the stuff they shot, and then the rest of it was like you know news footage. Um, but you, you see, the monkey uh, is a uh, monkey's watching. I guess an, a chimpanzee is watching the, the this violent footage, kind of Clockwork Orange style, tied down, being made, being forced to watch it. But man, I, I just I like this moment right here where it it sets up from these the video screens, kind of not only the theme of the movie. I feel like, but you know, because this is. There's a, a theme of violence in this movie, and yeah. Jim becoming the Jim character later in the film becoming more violent as the movie comes um, comes to a conclusion. But to me, the the TV monitors are also kind of like Danny Boyle's way of easing the audience in and explaining to them to the violence. Well, not to the violence, but explaining to the audience like why we're shooting it this way. It's like, look, here's the news footage. This is how you see it. It's shot on a video camera. We're shooting this movie in video. This is go- we're gonna go real, real with this, as real as we can. Yeah, and we're you know, yeah. it, it's kind of what the theme of the movie. You know, like if you think about like the aesthetics and their approach to the film, that's what they do. I mean, they they give a real yeah, and it did, scientific it, explanation to zombies and yeah, and and it also gives this movie um, raw, gritty look to it too at the same time. It's it's a nice way for him to set up his style, and and to explain it to the audience and really ease into it and just get the movie going. I mean, because this looks different from any other any other film you're going to see. Like, you know, I didn't mean to sound like if I was explaining. I guess I was trying to just explain like this does look different, but I I like this style. I like how this movie looks. I don't want to come across like I'm being yeah. negative, but you know, some people don't like this. I'm not one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I enjoy it myself. Were they, I guess they're animal activists. <laughs> show up, and yeah. it's just like... The bad guys are PETA? Yeah, it's like, thank you, assholes. You know, you just unleashed a, a fucking horrible virus onto mankind. Uh, I mean, if you want to take a crackpot shot at fucking PETA, go ahead, Danny Boyle. <laughs> it's like... You guys, you guys just killed off over half of humanity. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't think he's taking a shot of him because, like, it's like everything in the movie. You no, I, I know, I know. Well, you kind of understand everybody's motivations and yeah, where they're coming from in the well, film. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, their motives are made clear. I mean, the one guy just like you know, how would you like if we did this to you? You know, so it's like you do understand where the the activists are coming from. 
but it's like at the same time, like that one, the the one head activist dude, I can't remember his name right offhand. He he's just like I'm not even hearing this shit. Yeah, well, dude, it goes with the themes of the movie, right? Like right here, they made a mistake because they're acting in anger, in rage. Yeah, it's it's a it's a well layered script, guys. I mean, but I mean, dude, the the first scene, like they're they laid down all the rules for the zombie, like you know. It's a virus. It's spread through the blood and saliva, um, and it, yep. it makes you go crazy with rage. And you, they, they also tell you it's, it's man-made because the scientist is like, you know, <laughs> to, to find the cure for something, you first must understand the cause in his crazy mad scientist way. Oh, yeah, he definitely is a total mad scientist. And like I said, then they just weren't hearing what he had to say. I love how they spit up, like, all the fucking blood man like right when they get infected they just like vomit all this oh yeah oh all this and we'll blood see, this out. is also when you so when you realize one of the things that you pointed out that you really didn't care about the movie which i really don't have a huge problem with it is you know this monkey attacks the chick and then like dude she's infected within seconds you know and that's one thing if you actually think about it that's one thing that's that really makes this this movie even more terrifying is the fact that once somebody gets infected, like it takes a hold of them quick, which means this virus can spread even faster than say your typical zombie virus. Yeah, no, it, it does. I mean, it, it's a good scene in the movie, especially in the beginning, because it's a good fake out because the doctor is like coming to infect, uh, kill the one infected girl right away. And you don't, yeah. you don't think that in that amount of time she's going to turn you know and the, the other thing i really like the, the the feature they added is when she turned and she looked at him she's got the crazy red eyes eyes yeah dude yeah. i i thought that was a great great touch i mean ew, dude it's yeah. it's scary as shit and then we have the walking dead moment uh i don't know man i i think i think the walking dead probably <laughs> ripped this off it's like I wonder how many people have actually saw this movie after watching The Walking Dead. This movie was definitely <laughs> out before the TV show was out, but the comic came out same year, dude, October of 2003. So this technically came out after, but I'm sure they were writing their story <laughs> and getting ready to like, you know, have it all published and they probably saw this film and were like, "Son of a bitch." Oh um, uh, hell, we're gonna just go with it anyway. Actually, I I think I actually saw. I have to look and put it in the show notes, but I think I actually saw. Or I was reading. Um, the creator uh, Robert Kirkman actually said something to that effect, like, "Oh man, I get to, I get to ask that all the time," and you know, it's like, "No, we had already come up with that idea," and then the movie came out or s- something along those lines. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure he's sick to death of it being asked that question. Yeah, but it is kind of like this, you know. Totally different, you know, circumstances. The only parallel is the fact that, you know, in both of them, well, I guess their zombie apocalypse is kind of going on, and the main characters wake up in hospitals. But other than that, they're completely different. Well, they wake up and the world's, like, over. I mean, well, you know, that's the thing. Like, uh, so after the PETA incident, you get the 28 days later thing, and then Jim Jim's in the hospital. And, you know, that's... Although, okay, you know, we're talking about Walking Dead. I, now that I'm remembering, doesn't Resident Evil also end this same way? 
Doesn't Mila Jovovich yes. at the end of this movie like? Doesn't she wake up in a hospital? Uh, yeah, because in Resident Evil Two, she wakes up in the hospital. Yes. Well, no, at the end of the first one, doesn't she wake up at the end of the hospital and like Raccoon City's like been completely decimated? Yes, she does. Yes, she and does. She, like sh- shoots the shotgun and the camera pulls back and it's like, uh, it's like yeah, a- she's still wearing like the hospital gown and shit. Yeah, it's yeah. terribly cloned, like the same four streets over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Go back and watch that shot. Which it, when it pulls out, it's like the same like it's all blocks. shaved. But okay, so um, dude, man, yeah. maybe a Resident Evil was a little bit more ahead, ahead of its time than. Well, I mean, you know, the video game uh, was definitely so. out before this film. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm sure you know that that was kind of like guess the first real big zombie insurgents. I re- you know because I remember that video game is you know it's the reason I sought out like some of the Italian zombie movies because. I mean, yeah. outside of the Romero trilogy in the early '90s, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. We had the Return of the Living Dead movies, but that was yeah, and those were you know those played for more laughs, but yeah, they were more tongue in cheek. They weren't intended to be like serious zombie movies. I really do. I love all these shots in the hospital. Um, you know, with him waking up, going out to the um, deserted London. Yeah, man, and, and those once again, you know, I know we did discuss it earlier on uh, on the show, but a lot of those shots, man, I think were are brilliantly chosen shots. Just like I feel like a lot of the ch- the shots in this movie, I felt like were were really well executed and and decisively chosen. I don't. At the same time, like I like Danny Boyle's style and how he his camera feels very free. But you know, even though when he's he's they're walking through the streets, there are these moments where you know, yes, you get these handheld shots, but then you also get these huge wides where you get to see just how yeah, like the one where he's walking and it pans back and you see the Ferris wheel, and then in London that one on the bridge we were talking about where you see like Parliament and Big Big Ben, yeah, that's one of those handheld ones. It's just like you know, it feels it almost feels very documentary style in the moment. The way the the movie looks with its video quality, man, dude, it just it really puts you there. It gives you this total sense of like, you know, he's waking up like, man, what the hell is going? What is exactly going on? You know, and you get a little bit of a tidbit when he picks up the newspaper and reads about the evacuations. He's waking yeah. up from a coma <laughs> because he was a bicycle carrier that you find out later in the movie, you know, and he had some accident. Yeah. Here he is waking up from a coma, and it's like, dude, did I. Is everybody gone? Did the, the apocalypse happen? Yeah. And I slept. I he's going to go. Get, he's going to go find him a. He's going to go find him a Rolls Royce Phantom baby. Speed through the streets of London like Will Smith did in that Mustang. No, he's not going to do that. <laughs> no, he's he's so <laughs> confused, man. And the and the film does a really good job of putting you in 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 the Jim character's position. And yes, it does. It does. Because Murphy like, does he's... a great job, man. He he nails this here. Oh yeah, he does. I mean, he's walking around screaming "Hello, hello," you know. And, you know, you get this. You get this total sense of isolation, and and you you get to feel this like isolation in a place where there should be no isolation. Oh no, it's it's yeah, it's totally creepy. You know, you, yeah, you, the way you hear the. Uh, the music when the music starts building up and uh, he runs in, I think it's, it's a, a car alarm starts going off and that starts playing yeah. into the soundtrack and the soundtrack starts kicking up and he's just oh man, you really just feel how lost he is. 
Yeah, he is totally. I mean, that's that's exactly what he at this point in time he's completely lost, you know. And then we then we have the church. Um, this is his first experience with the infected. We do have to call out for the ladies real quick. When Killian Murphy is first introduced, he is on display in all of his bare assness. Um, oh yeah, yeah. This ain't no Rick Grimes shit where he wakes up and he's got some blankets and shit over top of him. No, this. Dude is as naked as the day he was born. So, ladies, you know, Killian Murphy fans, you know, I'm just just saying another Might reason to watch this movie. <laughs> Although I don't know if you know you're going to listen to this podcast and then you're like, oh yeah, zombies. Oh, oh wait, Killian Murphy penis. Oh, I'm totally watch it now. I'm totally going to watch it just to see his flaccid penis. Ah, oh, uh, you had to take it there with the adjective, didn't you, buddy? <laughs> anyway, enough <laughs> penis talk. Yeah, yeah, okay. Go. Where you t- you're talking about the church theme? <laughs> Back to the movie. Um, <laughs> you know when he when he first comes in contact with the uh, with the priest, it's a holy man. You know, you don't want to hit a holy man with a knapsack of colas that you picked up off of a hospital floor. Well, I mean, not only that, but the the hospital is littered. Not the hospital, but the church is littered like with dead bodies with, all the way to the yeah. altar. Mm-hmm. And you know what's creepy as shit, man? When he when he says hello, yes, that's what the, I was gonna say. The two infected ones just kind of stand up and look at him, and they don't fucking do shit, dude. They just look like deer in headlights. They're just like, wait a minute. Dude. Yeah, I wondered why that was. I I think it was their brain like just snapping back on. They do call out later in the movie when when you meet the general that they they have this one zombie that they're trying to keep, and because they want to mm-hmm. see how long it takes for them yeah. to starve. And I think it's like, you know, their brain is getting close to, like, shutting down. They're, you know, they haven't had food in I don't know how long. That's the thing that I was a little confused by. There are these two infected that are still obviously alive. Well, there's more than that that follow him out of the church. When he starts running out, there's, like, five or six. And yeah, why are they not eating the dead bodies? I, I was kind of confused by that because they're attacking the other people. But you don't ever see anybody actually get eaten in the movie. You see him get ripped apart. Yeah. But you don't actually see anybody get eaten. So are they eating That's people? That's true. You don't. I mean, you do, it, it doesn't seem like they eat people. Or it's like once you get affected, are you just like at that moment, like all the bo- all the nutrients in your body, like once that's used up, you just starve to death? That's kind of the way it plays out. I mean, but that would be like the like that would be like, man, well, this is just kind of a shitty virus. Then they're not eating other humans. I mean, yeah, they're attacking them and ripping them apart and biting them and all that, but they're actually not physically, like, devouring them like zombies would for sustenance. No, I mean, yeah, there is no way all these bodies would be here if these were George Romero zombies. They they would have chowed down on them, and they don't have, like, guts full of eating humans. (laughs) I mean, hell, even if it was walking dead zombies, we wouldn't have this, you know? That's that's what I was actually thinking of. It was like when Rick Grimes, like <laughs> the one eats Laurie, and Rick Grimes comes around the corner, yeah. and zombies just got like a <laughs> giant gut. Uh, oh, spoilers yeah, for Walking but... Dead, by the way. <laughs> and that is one thing that that is a bit, you know, perplexing because it doesn't really say what they eat or if they even eat. Because the way the virus seems like to me, it's like. They completely consumes them with like this unbridled rage. They're like in freaking berserker mode. 
I do like his exit from the church. I think that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. He's running out, you know, and all these infected people are chasing him. I mean, Danny Boyle does this great thing where they they just have this fire that occasionally will pass by the camera. And then you actually see it yeah. move a couple times in frame. And then you see fire, like, go by him. And you just really get this confusion of this scene where these people are trying to save him. But how it's shot and yeah. cut and how you're getting it from Jim's perspective and then you're seeing Jim and it's it's well done and you really get the the sense of confusion and like okay wait a minute are you a ba- are are you a threat are you good okay wait you're trying yeah, to help you me friend or foe. yeah exactly and it yeah. it ends with a gas station just exploding totally over the top yeah. but oh man a lot of fun but it works man it works yeah don't you know I yeah. always remember the wide shot of the gas station exploding looking bad but I was watching it this time and I was like hey you know what. You know, I, I thought it looked pretty damn decent, dude. Yeah, I was I was impressed. I for whatever reason I remember that looking kind of shitty, but I was I was really impressed with it. I was also impressed when they show like uh, Manchester burning later at the end. Yeah, that's 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 a little bit later on in the movie. But yeah, so now we're introduced into our next two characters, Selena and. Uh, some some guy that's gonna die in like a couple of seconds. So I mean, really, yeah, it doesn't even matter. I, yeah, it does it because look, man, look. Here's the thing: Naomi Harris as Selena, she steals this movie, bro. I mean, she Miss Money Penny herself was in this movie, dude. When she took off her gas mask and I I saw her face, I was like, oh my gosh. And see, this is this is this is another thing that I kind of. I do want to discuss is the development of the characters in this movie. Because when you first meet the character, Jim, his character is a lot different at the end of the movie, along with Selena's character. They both have good arcs. Yeah. Yeah. When you first meet her, she's like this straight up badass, take no shit chick who doesn't, doesn't want to really rely on anyone else. Oh, dude. Like, okay. Jim wants to go see his dead parents, sees his dead parents, some zombies show up. Dude, the other guy she's she's with that I don't know how long they've been together. I, I don't know if they've been together for 28 days, 15 days, whatever. She sees this guy cut with maybe other blood around it. Doesn't even wait for him to turn and just she chops him up with a machete. Like you see oh, yeah, his arm go off and she just starts hacking, bro. Oh, yeah, she fucks his ass up, dude. Oh, it is rough. It, it kind of yeah. made me dislike her character at that moment. And then there's another line. There's a line at this point that kind of does come back to play. And she, you know, where she makes the comment, oh, I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd kill you in a heartbeat. If you turn, you got maybe about 10 seconds, 10 it's to cold, 20 seconds. Man. That's cold. That was longer than a heartbeat. Ten. Yeah, you don't fuck around with this chick. Like she'll cut your nuts off and feed them to you. Yeah. But at the at the same time, you also got to look at it like this: well, you're in, a, in the middle of some kind of fucked up pandemic that's turning people alive and they're ripping other people apart. And this chick's the only other chick that's still alive that you found. So yeah, yeah, you almost have to you know hang out with. When when she kills a dude, it the movie kind of puts. Jim and Selena at odds, whereas yes, yes, Selena is a little too far gone and maybe a little too kill happy, and 
Jim's character, may, Jim, Jim maybe is a little too naive. The whole situation hasn't sunk in. Yeah, it hasn't. He hasn't really come to the realization of it quite right. yet. And like he says he gets it, but he doesn't. Yeah. You know, that's what kind of the film's kind of about is like these two characters kind of coming to a, a mid ground. Yes. Like you do have to commit violence, but at the same time, you still have to love something, you know, you, you still have to have something to fight for and something to care about. Otherwise, why fight at all? Yeah. And that's the theme of the soldiers as well. Yeah. It's like in an ugly world, you still have to be able to find beauty. I really enjoy the shots where, uh, you know, getting ready to get dark and they're walking through the street and they happen to look up at this, you know, apartment building and they see a bunch of Christmas lights. Jim's, you know, kind of gets like, uh, uh, Hey, I almost like, I told you so kind of moment when he was talking about other people still being alive and everything. And, you know, of course he's all optimistic about it. And, you know, Selena's, completely pessimistic about it brings a little bit of i guess a reprieve but then it goes it goes right back into it with them going up the shopping cart barricade climbing to the top of this building um when the zombies start you know rushing up and coming after him the thing i I like is that jim is worried that selena is going to leave him Yeah, he, you can tell he is definitely worried about that. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, I like, mean, man. Danny Boyle goes out of his way to, to keep him saying that like four four or five times. He repeats that yeah. line. Like, don't leave me. Don't leave me, Selena. Don't. And he's running up these stairs with everything he has. And, you know, she does kind of leave him. She doesn't really go back for him. She's like, either you keep up or fall behind. And if Frank wasn't at the top of the stairs, I don't think she'd have a problem with leaving him. She's going to grow, man. She's going to grow. She's going to learn. Okay? Yeah. 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 That's, that's this is a growing. This is, this is a growing experience. A uh, learning one. So Frank played by Brendan Gleeson. Um, uh, fucking what's that? Uh, Gangs of New York. Martin Scorsese movie. I love him in that. Yeah. Gangs of New York. He plays in Braveheart. He this plays in. This you. I mean, that dude, that dude plays in so, so many. He. He plays in Sweeney Todd. Oh, dude, the Frank character is like the ray of sunshine because this movie has been bleak as balls. And yeah. Frank comes in yeah. with his daughter, and they just bring so much life and so much joy, not only into the picture, but into these characters. And yes, like they do. They're the reason that these guys start changing. Like, you know, they decide to get out of the fucking London because of a radio broadcast that they hear. It's got the answer to infection. So, you know, you see all these. There's some bad moments and some, you know, infected people chasing them. But you see them grow together. And, and I love the conversation of, you know, between Jim and Selena, because Jim's like, you know, these people, you know, we kind of need these people. And she's like, no, these people need us more than we need them, you know. And that kind of gets that kind of gets brought up because Frank brings that up. He's like, well, you know, I heard you, you know, 
Like, I heard you say that. Dude, that's such a good character yeah. moment. He's like, these walls are Yeah, crazy. he's like he's like he's like these walls are paper thin, you know. And and, and it's like it's crazy the the you know, the voice of reason actually ends up being his I guess adolescent daughter, Hannah. Like she ends up being the voice of reason, you know, like, hey, you need us as much as we need you. We we all need each other. You know, I mean, like yes. they're, they're out of water. You, you even see on the roof with all those baskets. Where he's like, oh, oh yeah, the no rain. rain. I mean, yeah, he's trying to collect dew and tarps. I mean, it's 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 getting down to, to drastic measures. I love that line too, where he's like, yeah, I, I saw how you could you could collect dew with tarps. I saw it on TV. <laughs> Yeah. I, but I can't make it work. I thought that was such a good. Like, it's a good line, man. It, you know, it's it, it's, yeah. it's realistic. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I saw something on television. I think I can get that to work. And then you know, you can't because you're missing that one vital step <laughs> that they didn't happen to tell you about. Yeah, or either that, or you didn't remember. Or, you know, whatever. It's fucking television. Yeah, you just you, you had to get up and take a, a whiz at that point in time. Man, Danny Boyle puts. Puts all these moments in, you know, throughout the film. Like, even, even the grocery shopping montage. The first time I saw the film, I totally thought that could have been lifted out of the movie. I was like, man, why is there a... No, 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 no. Yeah. The second time you, I watched you it... You gotta like, oh. have them in there, man. Yeah. Because you get to you know, see them it, be real people. Humans. Yeah, normal people. Which is kind of fucked up because, you know, the scotch that Frank gets when they're in the grocery store... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Later on in the movie, when that when that <laughs> general or lieutenant or whatever yeah. asks the gym character in for a drink, he opens one of those boxes up and, and pours some of that shit. And it's like, damn, you, you dude, you dick. But anyway, we'll get to those army guys, cocksuckers. You know anyway. what? I guess we can get, get to the army guys. We don't. We don't. I really don't have anything else to talk about. You know, um, before I mean, the tunnel scene's cool. Before- I did like the tunnel scene. I thought the tunnel scene was pretty cool, dude. I don't know what would possess you to decide to drive on the roofs of other cars. I think good they were, timing moments. Yeah, I, I think yeah, exactly. I think they were showing Frank have this really, yeah. really, really like just they make him extremely likable. So you know this guy is not infected with the rage virus at all, which yeah. makes it what happens to him later in the movie so tragic. But he goes over the cars. He starts having fun. He gets everybody in the car even laughing and smiling and having a good time. And when they go down and they get the flat, like Jim even makes like a, a comment to him. Or, you know, he gives him some shit about like, oh, yeah, this is the worst place to get a flat or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. And his response is like, agreed. You know, he doesn't argue <laughs> with him. He doesn't get pissed about the situation. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's just like. Let's solve yep, this problem. Let's. This is not good. Let's not argue about it. Let's just solve it. All the characters get a little moment and get a little scene. And, and some little things that they do, like answer questions, significant impact for who they are and how you Well, I mean, yeah, just like, I mean, just like with the, with the, when, they, when they're all kind of like around the campfire with the volume, you know, Perfect the daughter's example. like, come on, Dad, can I have one? And Jim's like, come on, man, let her have one. Frank, you old softy. It's like, <laughs> you can have half a one. The whole scene after Jim's character has the uh, the bad dream where they kind of wake him up and everybody's in the car and they're kind of like getting ready to ride off without him like you would do to like, you know, a pile of yours in high school or college, you know. 
I I really I really like that because that really sets up why he's gonna go back for those girls later. You know, it's it sets up yeah. his fear of when he's dreaming and it's the literally like the zombie apocalypse is happening around this guy. His nightmare is being left alone. Yeah, that's his nightmare. That that you know, it's like uh, yeah, I understand you woke up in the movie, but uh, I don't know. I'd be I'd still be having nightmares about. Crazy red-eyed, yeah. blood yeah, but wouldn't viewing people? But wouldn't it so, make you feel the same way, though, man? I mean, you wake up alone to the world that you knew around you gone, and then you do meet a group of people. I mean, you almost feel like that's your only connection to some kind of normality. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, they they call that out in the movie too, or I think Selena points to Frank and his daughter and it's like, you know, they really haven't felt the impact of this, you know, cause yeah. they still have each other, you know, the, yeah. the world ended around them, but they're fine. I you know that's when the Selena's character starts to make the, the that's, I guess that's when she makes the decision that, you know, maybe Jim is, is worth going out for. And she, she even kisses him in that scene too. Yeah, she does. And it, yeah, it, she does. It lays, it starts laying the, the foundation for her, her switch. Well, it's not her switch. I think it's a compromise. I think her character and the Jim character they compromise. I don't really think it's a compromise. I think it's more of a realization of another person's views. It's it's not putting up that wall and, and like you know I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Well, yeah. I mean, they're meeting each other halfway. That's you know you know what I mean. Um, I, I guess it isn't a compromise. They're not really giving each other up. They're just well. They're giving up a little bit of their old values, I guess, is what I mean by compromise. Yeah, okay, I got you, yeah. They're both meeting each other. Like, she's going down, he's going up, and they're yeah. in this, we love people, but we're also incredibly violent, middle area. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of fucked up limbo. The The scene where they start talking about the horses, and then it feels like a bonding moment for all four of them. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure. It is a bonding moment, but none of them really notice or care about it but Frank. Mm-hmm. Brendan Gleeson's the only one who's is sitting out there before, and he calls them over, and they leave, and they yeah. want to go back to their food, and he, he stands there. Like, right around then, there's a, there's a point where the car's leaving, and there's a, a shot where you, you see the car, it's going, and it, it's the video of the car moving, but in the bottom, there's this field... And the field is is rendered in these like weird. It looks like a watercolor painting, mm-hmm. and I'm not 100 percent sure what those moments mean. I don't either. They're visually appealing. No, they are. But I mean, is it like the care? Is it just the characters like saying like I'm I'm gonna stop and take a, a moment and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, kind of stop and smell the flowers, kind of moment. I I do think I I'll be honest. I think I'm missing something that Danny Boyle is trying to say there. Family, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there's. there's it, it was all about. It was all about the family, dude. It was yeah. all about a family, some kind of stability and, and some kind of like tribe or group of people that you're close to that you trust and you call. Well, listeners, your family. Hey, please uh, write it. Write us some emails and let us know what you, you guys think. Um, yeah, we would really love to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, really I, I, I really would because I'll be honest, I don't. Oh, if I'm smart enough to get it, or I just haven't got it yet, it, it's hard. It's hard to process, man. Because if you go, you go more than a year without watching it, it man, it it affects me, dude. I mean, it, it the sense of dread yeah. and just 
constant tension just it it does get to me after a while and i do miss some things in the story i you know probably because of that when brendan when brendan gleason dies character frank dies you know it's kind of like just out of the blue man like he just happens to look up and a drop of blood drips off of a dead soldier's finger and just hits him in the eye but i mean i don't you kind of feel it coming because he, he blows up in this yeah, before you- and you can you do, but you I mean, feel that foreshadowing coming, man, because you're like, oh man, this guy's been so cool, and this is the one moment die. he yeah. loses it. Yeah, he starts getting a little pissed, and you just like, all right, okay, yeah, again, because every time somebody loses their cool, usually something bad happens. Okay, now this is something that I I do have a little bit of an issue with with this movie. It's like you know I understand some people are a little trigger happy. But don't you think, like, all the soldiers in this movie are super trigger-happy? Dude, these soldiers in this movie are fucking insane. And, you you know, when you first see them, they're like, yeah, step away from the body. They look very official. You get them going to the compound in the back of a truck. They're looking at them. They're very quiet. They're stoic. You're like, oh, man, these guys are serious. These guys are, like, fucking yeah. badasses, like special forces. The longer Jim and Selena and the daughter are there, the more you see that these guys are just a bunch of idiots. The one dude, the one guy with the beard, I can't remember what his fucking <laughs> yeah, the, name is. The sergeant, the hippie sergeant. <laughs> yeah, he's the only dude that's actually trying to do the right thing. What's really fucked up, man, is they they paint this portrait of them having some kind of good thing going on here. You know, like uh, even the dude that's heading on the lieutenant or sergeant or whoever the fuck this guy is general whatever the fuck is he is um it's chris eccleston like, well, the yeah chris eccleston the doctor yes. or like the first doctor of the reboot series i don't know his actual doctor number please don't yeah. send me emails telling me the do- go ahead and send me emails with the doctor number it's fine anyway but yeah like he, he's like well i'm sorry you're not expecting a platoon here with uh you know triage and helicopters and tons of food and Lots and lots of other people. Sorry, this is what it is. But it's safe, it's secure. We have lights, we have power, we have food. You know, I almost like feel at this point in time they lead him into a little bit of a like a false sense of reality. Oh, I don't ever feel that um, way, man. I feel like this guy is pretty straightforward with him. He's just like well, slowly but you don't really know his intentions at this point in time though. No, but he like, he is straight up. I told you the answer to in- infection is here. It is yeah, in a way. Yeah, he does say that. You yes, know, he does say he, that. He doesn't, yeah. say he, ha- he doesn't say he has a cure. He says he has the answer to infection. And yes. his idea of he, answer... <laughs> uh, of answering the, this... Yeah, the answer to infection. Is, uh, you know, hey, we'll just keep all of them out until they starve to death. And uh, we'll just put a beacon out and get all the women we possibly can. So our soldiers... Can rape them and uh, reproduce and repopulate them. the fucking world. Yeah, exactly. Because we all need a future. You kind of understand where this guy's coming from. Like his plan is fucking yeah, horrible. Yeah, you, 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 you do a little bit, but like, no, you totally understand where he's coming from, man. Like, look, he's a platoon. He's a general or whatever. He's commanding the this army here. He's faced. They're faced with the idea that the world is over. Right, he's trying to keep order amongst his troops. Okay, yeah, well, he's like a lot of these guys haven't even seen their wives in weeks. 
these guys are, are coming to the realization like they're never going to see another woman again. There is no future. There's no possibility of anything. They're just trying to stay alive until they die. He's trying to fight the suicide rate, you know, from dropping from his like what is it, a nine or ten band fucking army? Like how 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 big is this yeah. army? It's super small. Uh, I think it's like eight dudes, eight eight to ten. I I get it. How he's doing it is really terrible, and you know, like and very irrational. Like maybe maybe invite the women over and maybe just have like a, a nice house and. You know, let relationships See what happens, bloom. man. Yeah, you know, like normal. I mean, you know, you, this guy just straight gets all like, yeah, yeah. Whether these chicks want it or not, I'm going to straight up be rapey as fuck right now. And I'm telling you, we need these two women to repopulate the world. Which, I don't understand the whole logic behind that in one thing. How can you repopulate the world with two females? Oh, dude, I don't think they're trying to repopulate the world. He's just he's just trying to give these pe- these people something to live for all right he's well, just, see i thought that was just, the whole thing they wanted just, the woman the women dude look he's so just he's trying to get these shit. he's trying to get them laid man all right don't ask don't tell policy man i mean the the whole reason uh anything lives in the first place is to pass on its its dna or its code yeah onto something that's, else that's to, rep- to reproduce so you i mean like you're yeah. taking away your base function of existence so i i get it i get it i totally get it how he how he goes and about executing his plan is is the most fucked up. It's totally thing. fucked up. Because pretty much what yeah, he's doing totally is totally fucked up. Yeah, he's putting out a rape beacon. <laughs> he's he's like, yeah. hey, <laughs> oh my god, dude, we will rape. That is so fucked up, but it's true. Yeah, this dude. Yeah, he did totally put out a rape beacon. <laughs> it's like a it's like a date rape beacon. It's like, hey, come here, look, we'll help you. It's all good. And then they come in. He's kind of like Harvey Weinstein. Come in, yeah. So it's, no, it's cool. We're gonna we're gonna get you this great job. We're gonna have the cure for infection. It's gonna be awesome. Come inside. Food. By the way, did we did we tell you that you you have to be gang banged by all these dudes at the same time? Yeah. Drawback. We're sorry so. about that. I mean, but it's, uh, you're kind of already here now, and I guess you are a little right with the repopulation there. That that, that is an aspect, but and I don't think it's it's really what they're after. It's more of a well, no, because I mean, even the dude, even the dude talks about rebuilding civilization, rebuilding society. Yeah, but he's, like, there's a, there, that's crazy James know. Bond villain monologuing he's doing. Hey, well, he still does discuss it though. Okay, true, true. I'll give you that. At this point in time, you know, Jim realizes he's like, hey, you know, I, I, he realizes what their intentions are. Well, needless to say, it doesn't go down for poor Jim too well. And him and the hippie dude end up on the fucking firing squad. You know what's really messed up when they take him out to execute him? The one soldier wants to stick the hippie sergeant. Well, he wants to yeah, stick he's him like, oh, bayonet. so what are you going to He's like, so what are you not? You, you're not even going to shoot me. You're just going to stab me. At, at that moment, it was like, okay, you guys are are past any kind of. That one dude, Mitchell. Mitchell was his name. He was a fucking asshole. Oh man, yeah, it's it's they're past the point of being like just really skewed vision. They're just terrible people. They have they have literally gone insane. Yeah, they've lost all humanity. And Jim, Jim does see a plane in the sky and. The hippie sergeant, he does relay a message like, hey, you know, think about it. We're in the UK. We're on an island. You know, the rest of the world is quarantining us. The birds weren't feeding on the on the infected flesh. And chimpanzees 
can get the disease. And birds migrate. I don't know. In theory, I guess the birds really could take it probably off. off Well, no. I mean, they even say in earlier that they had reports from uh, London, Paris, and New York City of the infection before the broadcast went dead. But apparently it doesn't because they, they do have a plane that flies over and he sees it very clearly. Yeah, and see, I do like that moment, man, where it's like, you know, we got these army dudes, you know, there's like, I'm facing a total uphill battle and there's no way I can win. Then he sees the jet flying over. And at that point in time, it's this moment of realization that, hey, all is not lost, that, you know, that there's still a military out there. There's still a, a government out there somewhere. and There's still people trying to work to combat this and formulate some kind of normality back to the world. And then I guess it kind of gives him this drive and it's this moment of like realization that, that, that there's something worth fighting for. And then he goes into Rambo mode. Yeah, he, he, he does. He does go a little crazy. Gets, gets all the guys. Uh, well, he didn't get all the guys. He gets a, uh, like three or four of the um, army guys to come to him. He sounds a horn out at the, the base yep. that he first met him at. Uh, they, they come out. He takes most of them out and very cleverly by using the horn gets the zombies or the infected, whatever, to come out there. Yeah. And uh, then Chris Eccleston's like trying to make it back to the base. And then, man, dude, he just goes crazy, uh, shoots out uh, the bud, <laughs> the bud zombie. I forget what the the guy, the zombie's name. They, they give him a name because he, he yeah. had a name as a, as a human before he got infected. I forget what it is, but it's a total homage to uh, Day of the Dead, I feel like. Yeah, that definitely is. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that that's an homage to, to Day of the Dead. And yeah, you know, like it's like Bud. Jim's character, you know, he, he knows that he's not going to be able to just go and take all these army soldiers head on. So he kind of picks and chooses which one he's going to take out and then kind of lets the infected do the rest of the job for it. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, he's he's also got to watch out for him too, and yeah. all the other people that he makes infected. And dude, the end of this movie is fucking tense, dude. Oh my god. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know all all that shit goes down, man. He turns, you know, the soldiers. Like, I kind of like that one moment when the when the asshole soldier Mitchell comes in there, and like the one soldier that wears the goofy hat. I can't remember his name. But he comes like screaming and running down the hall, and it's like almost like this comedic kind of moment, you know, like kind of the way they look at him, and then then the the guy that they were keeping kept chained up like kind of comes along after him, and it's kind of like an oh shit moment, you know. Oh and no, I do, that, that is I, played really well. I agree. The asshole soldiers like Mitchell and the leader of the brigade, Chris Eccleston. Um, yeah, Chris Eccleston's character, man. They 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 get some pretty. They get pretty brutal deaths, which, you know, their deaths are totally justified, in my opinion. You can't blame them. I mean, they may have been no, fine and, and normal people in a completely adjusted society, but you have to remember, like, the no, that world one dude, is Mitchell, he was probably, that, that dude Mitchell was probably just a, a douchebag in real life. Yeah, he was, he was probably a date rapist in, in real life. Uh, or, yeah, he probably a normal, was. Uh, civilized society. But I mean, they they do. Man, they say so many things with these army guys. Like even Chris Eccleston, 
has, has like some weird fucked up thing where they're having dinner. Where he's just like, ah, oh, you know, people were killing people before this happened, and people are killing people now, so this whole zombie it's apocalypse rough, rough. is kind of normal <laughs> for me. It's just like, what? Wait, this is normal for you? Your life was so fucking bad. You were in so many conflicts that this is normal for you. I kind of under I understand all this character, all of the the characters' motivations very, very well. They're wrong, but I understand them, and they're they're, yeah, they're still understandable. Yeah, they're yes. painted very vividly, dude. You like they do a really good job of making every moment in the movie feel lived in, so you understand it. The Mitchell dude gets killed. Hannah, Selena, and Jim. Hannah gets the car. Well, they're going to the car. You know, they think they're going to get away. And Jim gets shot. I like the original ending better, though. You do? Yeah. I, I, there's a bunch of alternate endings, but the original ending that they had of the film was that so Jim gets shot, and they deal with Chris Eccleston's character. And then they take Jim to a hospital, and in and, and the original ending, Jim dies. Yes, he does. In I like that better, man. It feels... You do? Yeah, it feels more book indie for that character. Like, he awoke in the hospital. He goes in the hospital. He made his violent transformation arc from being a very extreme pacifist to becoming a man of this new world. You know, he's done. And maybe he went a little too far, and maybe he paid the price for his rage because, like... Every every time somebody goes a little too ragey in this film, there is a price paid for it. Every time. Yes. Yes, it is very interesting. And I don't know. I do like the, the, the actual movie ending, you know, where they get away. Uh, you do get that brief shot with Selena and Jim in the hospital. Jim wakes up in this little cottage in the Highlands. I really do love a lot of these shots, these you know, landscape shots, they're, they're gorgeous. And I felt like that this was a way for the movie to end on a positive note and also give room for a sequel. I, I, th- I think the movie already had room, perfect room for a sequel. I th- this, I don't know, man, this feels like bullshit audience fucking notes to me, like a bunch of pansy ass motherfuckers who were like, Hey man, I need my characters to have a good resolution at the end of the movie. You know, even though this movie is bleak as shit from start to finish. I mean, and then you get this uplifting moment at the end. After the hospital scene, you get another 28 days later. Text pops up at the bottom of the screen. Bottom, uh, I think it's the bottom right corner. Right after that, it is all film after that. And this stuff looks, when you're talking beautiful, this does look beautiful. And when you see film again, instead of Canon XL1S shot mini DV, oh my gosh, man! You can you can immediately tell the difference. Like I thought, I thought that was a beautiful stylistic choice to shoot it on film, and it, you just breathe a sigh of relief. It's it's almost like, oh, you know, I know Jim's okay. You know why? Because this is so beautiful. There's no way he's not okay. You know, when when it, when it comes to find out that they're they're actually getting saved, you know, or, or you know, the jet flies over, you know, hey man, there's a potential that things will actually work out for these folks. This the ending that's on the uh, on the movie, yeah. There's it's it's very uplifting. You get the hello written on the hillside, uh, on the hillside, 
which I, I love because they're they're still working on the O. So right <laughs> when you first see it, it just says hell. Yeah, it's not even finished yet. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was a great insert. But um, yeah, they, they bring the O out. It's very uplifting, and it ends at a close up of Jim. It bookends it enough. I understand what Danny Boyle is trying to do there. He, he's like, okay, well, look, we we started because the PETA scene when they're breaking into the lab that really feels just like a prologue to the movie. It's just some information. It could have been text on a screen, but I liked it as a scene. And they gave you all the information really well. It was very well constructed. Gave you in and out. It's not that long. It's like less than five minutes. Eh, maybe five minutes. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. The close-up on Jim at the end, it, it does work. It, I, I don't know. But I, I it ties it better together if he fucking dies in the hospital at the end. I like that ending better, man. It's just... It's not the it's not the ending I would want as an audience member watching this movie for the first time. I totally give you that because it'd be like, oh no, I want Jim to live. I like this guy. He's done this. I want Selena to live. I want Selena and Jim to go on and have some kind of relationship after this event. Yeah, you want some kind of like fairy tale ending. But the movie is set in this very like this is real world. This is real life. This is what would happen. And yeah. I don't know, man. That ending, it does feel very fairy tale. But I, the fact that he shoots yeah. it on film, I like that because it does make it feel even more fairy tale. I may be reading a little bit too much into his aesthetic choices. Yeah. I, I've been guilty of that before. Yeah, I think we all are a little bit, man. <laughs> is, is it art or is this a turd? Don't really know. All right. Okay. So I think we've talked about 28 Days Later enough. Um, Paul. Final thoughts, 20 days later. What do you think, sir? I think it brought a brand new flavor and spark to the genre. Overall, it is the second best zombie movie I've ever seen. It has to be, it would have to be one of my absolute favorite of that genre. And hold up, remind me, like, remind me and our listeners, what is number one for you? Dawn of the Dead would have to be my favorite zombie movie, but. Yeah, second place on that would definitely be, you know, 28 Days Later. Wait, so you like it better than Night of the Living Dead? A little bit in its own ways, yes. Really? Yes, I mean, I love Night of the Living Dead, man. Like, both of those would be tied for number two on my list. I feel like so much was more expanded on. Man, that is some sacrilegious shit right there, son. I don't know if I can go with this. I don't know. Paul, you're well, blowing my mind. I, mean, I can't believe you would say that. Really? You think this is better than Night of the Living Dead? I'd say it's equally as good. Man, fuck I'd dude, say that movie equally... still holds up and it was made in the 60s. Come on, dude. What the I fuck know it does still about? hold up. And I, I love that movie dearly, dude. That movie holds a special place in my heart. But for reinventing the genre, man, I feel like 28 Days Later did that. I feel like 28 Days Later re-brought back the zombie genre to mainstream again. What are you talking about? 28 Days Later wouldn't exist if Night of the Living Dead didn't exist. I know that. So how are you putting it above it? I'm not putting it above it. I'm saying, man, I like them both equally. I love both of those movies the same, but I love them for different reasons. Both of them would be number two. Oh, so wait a minute. Hold up. You're just cheating. No. How am I cheating? You're putting two movies at number two. You can't do that. 
But no, I, I can put them in number two because I like them both for different reasons. No, but no, I no, love no, them no. Equal. no, 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 Paul, you can't put two movies. Okay, well, if I had to do it, I would put them in this order, I guess. Final order, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, 28 Days Later. Fair enough. I just well, okay. I just I just want to make sure where we're getting the thing. You're splitting things and being like, hey, look, I'm gonna put two different movies on on one one level. God damn it! But anyway, he, yes. yeah, here's no, one this, numeric this, this value that just, I'm gonna use two different movies for. That's some yes, bullshit. I'm gonna split hairs on this one. But uh, no, I mean, you know, you know, this this movie is it. It really you get there's a lot of character development and it. It's it's just more than your typical zombie movie. It was a very fresh new take on what the zombie genre can be and can do. Here, here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I love it quite quite as much as you do. I, I definitely like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead a lot better. But it is it is definitely number three. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, the script is well written. The film, the acting, um, it just, it just everything is is really well done. The editing is well done, but I would not put it at number one and number two, just because what what George Romero did was something uh, just just really truly original, and and it really broke new ground. And um, you know, we wouldn't have this without those films for sure. And I, I do think they do certain things better, but I will say that the the acting in this film. The themes and the character arcs are better in this movie. I, I think this is the maybe maybe it's the better movie than Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, but it's definitely not the better zombie movie, and it's 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 definitely not the better horror film. It updates the z- zombie genre to, to reflect the the paranoia that we feel about viruses, about Ebola, about AIDS, about you know what t- t- take your pick of whatever virus freaks you out. Um, the production design is absolutely uh, outstanding. I don't, I don't even think we brought up all those amazing notes. Like, uh, there's this this part where uh, Jim goes to this huge wall, and it's just all these people that are lost, and like there are these notes like, "Oh, I miss you. I I love you. Please come home. This person's missing." It's just huge. Wall. Yeah. Somebody wrote all that crap out and did all that, and man, it looks incredible. Um, it does, and it it hits you, you know, just as, as a viewer when you when you when you see that. It just, you know, see, seeing a, a a lost kid on the back of a milk carton is one thing, but seeing a million lost people, you know, on 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 a board and it's just jam packed, and like you remove a picture and there's another one, you remove that picture there and there's another one, and just ad nauseum, it just keeps going. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a masterpiece, but it's definitely a cult classic, and it will be remembered and studied for a very long time. Um, it's I kind of put it in the, the same place as I, w- I would put The Matrix. It didn't start something new, but it did reinvent the wheel just a little bit. It didn't make the wheel, but it, it reinvented it. It made it faster. It made it better. It made it a little bit slicker. All that being said, guys, we're going to close out right now. Um, thank you so much for listening to our show. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew, and crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E at gmail.com. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you guys left us a five-star rating, or any rating actually, on iTunes and Stitcher. 
Paul, where can people follow you, good sir? They can follow me on Twitter at Paul R. Williams J1. And if you want to check out some really cool and interesting and um, experimental music, you should check out the guy who does our music for us, Aquarius Weapon. Um, you can check him out on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah, yes, please do that, Aquarius Weapon. Uh, we're usually posting all of uh, his new tracks on uh, on Facebook and Twitter, so you can find all that stuff at Movie Crew Pod. And speaking of music, we close out the show every single time with a little bit of ditty, little bit of that soundtrack bliss. We will be playing track 18 from 28 Days Later soundtrack. The title of the track is In the House in a Heartbeat from John Murphy. Enjoy. <laughs> 